Welcome to Idle Chatter, brought to you by the Machinery Digest, where steel and soil meet. A weekly podcast by a New Jersey farmer to all farmers and ranchers across this great nation. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. Regardless of the crop you grow or the livestock you raise, we all have one thing in common. Agriculture runs on passion, sweat, tears, and machinery, and that is why the Machinery Digest exists, a no-nonsense, grease-under-your-fingernails educational website. It was created to provide a transfer of knowledge so that you can maintain, service, and most importantly, understand today's complex farm equipment. My name is Ray Bohax, and I farm too. It is time now to get under the sheet metal. Hello and welcome back to Idle Chatter. Ray Bohax here, the hot rod farmer from Catswamp Road in Warren County. And yes, there are farms in New Jersey. And uh, wishing you a great day. And hopefully, uh, as I always say, that things are going great on your farm or ranch operation as we get ready for Christmas. The, uh, the, the arrival of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as a baby born in a manger amongst animals. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time of year. And I hope that you all have the opportunity to take the time and reflect on that birth and not get mired and lost in the busyness of the season. But also, I do want to, a little bit self-promotion here. I guess nothing's wrong with that. Well, I I guess there is something wrong with it, but it's really not self-promotion. But if you haven't already checked it out on the website, farmmachinerydigest.com which is my website obviously plus on all of my hosting sites that host the idle chatter podcast i have my second annual christmas uh what to get the hot rod farmer in your life buyer's guide so i did that last year as i said before a couple of weeks back and it was very well received and i have a new show up there and also in the archives is the old show from last year So you could listen to that, and then you could also go on the website and you could see the actual items that I discuss and get a direct link to to the company's website, and you could check it out. So, uh, you know, keep in mind that uh, if you are the hot rod farmer because you're listening to this, right, then you could buy that for yourself or make a suggestion to someone, all right, that's... uh, you know, sometimes uh, doesn't go across too well. But I, I, but my, you know, my thought basically is, if somebody's going to spend some money on you that they love you and they want to get you something nice for Christmas, that it'd be better served to get you something that you could use and it'll bring value to your life. And every time you look at them, that you'll remember that. So check that out if you not if you have not already done that. And also keep in mind that uh, every week on Ag News Daily. Uh, which is um, Delaney Howell and Mike Pearson's daily agricultural news show that on every Thursday I have a Hot Rod Farmer Minute and then there's also a different Hot Rod Farmer Minute played each week on uh, the Moving Iron Podcast Network and that that is Casey Seymour and then I am also warehousing those on my website but we're putting up three a week. I actually have about 33 of them right now I believe but we're putting up three a week so we don't overwhelm you and you have something to look forward to. So that is that. And uh, let me see what else. I love my, I told you last week, I got my Davis uh, 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 
Vantage View. I can never remember the name. Vantage View Weather Station. And I really love it. I'm learning a lot about weather. You know, to uh, I'm, I'm certainly not a meteorologist or I, I guess a quasi-weather buff. Uh, but I didn't really know too much about it. Years ago, I got a wonderful book on weather. And I want and I studied the the aspects of humidity and barometric pressure and temperature uh, simply because they affect an engine. So, but I wanted now that I have the weather station and it's so easy at a glance to look at everything. I'm 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 learning I'm learning the station. I got it set up the way I want it set up right now with the quick uh, with the quick view so I could see the different things that I'm interested in. But like so many things, they have those multifunction buttons and. Uh, I guess there's no other way to do it or bring it to market inexpensively without making the thing 50 feet wide. But uh, you, know, you press the wrong button, and it screws everything up. Pardon my French. But uh, hey, what are you going to do? So I'm learning. So I got it set the way I want right now. And then each day or each couple of days, I'm taking the manual out and I'm going through it. And I'm exploring different areas of it. But what was interesting was that Friday, I looked at it Friday morning in the kitchen. And before I went down to my office, and then it said, um, it said, Gem- I'm pr- probably pronouncing it wrong, Geminitis or Geminitis uh, Meteor Shower. And I said, I first thought it said Gemini DS, Do South Meteor Shower, because it uses that funky computer type of graphics, or font, I should say. But then I looked it up, and it was the Geminitis or Geminitis Meteor Shower this past weekend, and it's supposed and it's supposedly a very large large well-known meteor shower uh we did not get a chance to see it over the three days because it was cloudy and it was raining here so uh it wasn't pouring i think over the course of the three days we got about 0.55 inches of rain so but it was just enough to uh, cancel out the meteor shower so uh maybe some of you guys saw that uh, around the world and here i am right i'm a dollar late i'm a day late and a dollar short i'm telling you after the fact but the next year, if it comes up before my podcast on there, I'll let you know when it is. And it was uh, it looks it seems like it's quite a spectacular to see all of those meteors shooting across the sky. So I would love to have seen that, but uh, God willing, next year. And let me see what else I want to tell you. And that uh, I think that's we're getting ready for some snow and ice again this week. It's been a icy uh, past month. And so I'm getting after I record this show, I'm going to get the uh, generator all fueled up and get that, uh, make sure that's all uh, got enough fuel in case the power goes out again as it did last time. And uh, God willing, it doesn't go out for people who are not prepared for it. And uh, hopefully it kind of uh, is a benign event. So we're supposed to get uh, ice a quarter of an inch of ice and then snow three to five inches of snow and then ice again which was the same drill we had about two weeks ago and took out uh, a lot of power lines here in warren county so hopefully god willing it's not too bad where you are and uh, you could travel safely and get i know these guys have crops in the field i've seen pictures of uh of uh going guys going through the field with a combine with snow on the ground so hey it is what it is but know that i uh i wish you sincerely the best and uh, we'll get through all of this and 2020 is just around the corner and i also want to tell you that launching on new year's day and it'll stay on it'll stay on the website and the hosting sites also launching on new year's day will be my uh 
my prayer for you, my wishes for you, a short podcast, about a 15 or 20 minute podcast of even that, which I did not do yet. So I'm going to try to keep it tight at about 15 or 20 minutes and some thoughts as we enter 2020. I did that last year for 2019 and I enjoyed doing it. And it gives me an opportunity, um, independent of the technical content of the podcast, of to uh, give you some thoughts to ponder and things to uh, think about. And it's not that, I, please, don't ever think that I feel that I'm smarter than anyone else or, or what have you. But, you know, in life, uh, we learn from each other. And uh, that's why I love to have an intellectual exchange with my listeners and readers of the website because I learn from them and they learn from me. Hopefully uh, they learn from me. But, you know, lots of times if somebody just presents something to you in a different manner and it makes it click, it becomes almost like an epiphany, like a uh, like a uh, you know, really special moment and you put all the dots together. So that's what that show is all about. It's the... Uh, it's a I like to to hopefully do my best to inspire people and to uh, educate them and to to bring them to a uh, possibly a different mindset or just different way of looking at things. So if you get a chance, please listen to that and know that it is not time sensitive, right? Because it you know it doesn't time out after January first. And, you know, each day is a new day, a blessing from God, and any mistakes we made, you know, it's no, never too late to try to turn either your life around or your business around or, or what have you. So uh, so hopefully you enjoy that, on, and it'll be up scheduled for January 1st. But with all of that homework and, uh, and housekeeping stuff done, I would like to... Um, do now or go it's time now i should say that would be right put my tongue back in my mouth my 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 brain gets ahead of my tongue it's always always been my uh my uh life story right my brain is going 90 miles an hour and my tongue only goes 40 miles an hour but it's time now for bushels and cents and i want to truly drive home the message that success on the farm or ranch is a three-legged stool it's agronomy or animal husbandry marketing and machinery i feel the best way is to take real life scenarios and establish how a poor decision or inaccurate diagnosis of a machinery issue cost your operation money but instead of referencing just dollars i will reference it in crop and i'm using corn at three dollars and fifty cents a bushel and never forget it's not what you make but what you keep that counts Alrighty. So with that said, here is our our example of bushels and cents. During the first day of harvest, your combine goes into limp mode and will only crawl. You call the dealer and they send a technician out. He reads the code and says that it is turbo over speed. He changes the speed sensor, same problem. Changes the ECU, same problem. A few days later you notice a dirty ground. You clean it and all is fine. The repair bill is $4,000 and none of the parts were needed. It is, if a simple ground circuit voltage drop test was performed, it would have been fixed for free. Instead, it cost you the equivalent of 1,143 bushels of corn. Let this not be you. So I, you know, I've talked so many times about doing a, the proper way and the only way to check a ground circuit 
is through a voltage drop test. And in this particular instance, which is very common, he, and this, these are all true stories I want to tell you. These are not stuff that I'm pulling out of air or making up as I go along, that over my years of talking to people, and this actual gentleman contacted me about a year or two ago, and he was uh, from, I believe, someplace in the Midwest, I think Indiana, and he had a John Deere combine, and that was his scenario. And I, uh, I told him to go around and check the ground circuits, and they did find a uh, faulty ground, and that was basically it. It was a corroded ground, what we would call a high impedance ground. So, you know, let this not be you, and, uh, and I hopefully that you will take heed to bushels and cents every week and you know i can't come up with it i can't have every scenario but it's more important for you to modify your thought process and if and in this particular instance three fifty dollar three dollar fifty cents bushel corn four thousand dollars thrown out down the toilet all right in the septic it's in the septic now right because it was totally wasted totally wasted didn't need an ecu didn't need a didn't need a turbocharger over speed sensor didn't need all those service repairs that the guy kept coming out and god knows what he messed up when he was doing that which is another story and uh that's the equivalent of 1143 bushels of corn and if you were dumping 143,000 140,000 143 bushels of corn in a ditch right you would say that you're crazy why is somebody doing that well that's what that basically cost that farmer all righty so uh we will move on and um, as always if you have any questions or comments on this on the bushels and cents or anything else on this show please feel free to contact me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and for our special delivery letter this week i do have somebody who contacted me about the uh, show last week on the radiator pressure caps so we will get to him and it is i believe his name is mr uh scott shady s-h-a-d-y like a shade tree all right what today's topic is going to be about is something that you really don't hear uh, people talking about, or I mean people, I mean mechanics talking about it, all right? And uh, I don't mean, you know, with coffee shop talk or uh, at the church function or what have you, but it is about exhaust restriction specifically in a gasoline engine, or what we would say is a plugged exhaust and that is probably more common than you actually think and it's and it causes a lot of misdiagnosis and it causes a lot of issues and 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 uh spe- spend a lot of money a lot of time and then you get nowhere with it you got nothing all right but a lot of money a lot of time in it so i want to cover that topic and we're going we're to look at it relatively in depth today on the show and um and I, and I and the, the thing about an, a restricted exhaust plugged exhaust whatever term you want to use is that it affects it has the ability to affect every gasoline engine and it also has the ability to, to affect the modern diesel engine and i'm going to hopefully remember to to bring that to you at the end of that segment and discuss that uh but bef- and whether it's a small engine on a chainsaw whether it's a, a, a gasoline engine in a pickup truck car irrigation pump what have you is that it has the it has the ability to affect the, any type of gasoline engine and also as i said modern tier four diesels as you will and you will understand why as i progress but first <clears throat> excuse me we need to uh to have a little bit of a timeline and history of restric- uh, restricted exhaust 
Now, years ago, the only way that, and I'm talking years ago, I'm going to say prior to um, to, uh, to catalytic converters, we're talking about gasoline engines. Prior, I'm going to talk about bigger gasoline engines, and I'll, I'll break away into smaller stuff as, as the opportunity comes up. But on prior to the advent of a catalytic converter, which was 1975, all right, for you guys that are young, you don't remember that. I remember when catalytic converters came out. I was a little kid and uh, always read all the car magazines and mechanics magazines and what have you. So prior to a catalytic converter is that the only way you would get a restricted exhaust would be one of two possibilities. Number one, you rode over something or hit something and you crushed the exhaust pipe underneath the vehicle. Or the second thing was that a, a, a baffle came apart in the muffler or lots of times they had resonators mufflers and resonators the muffler was always first and the resonator is after that and uh the resonator was used to help quiet the exhaust so cadillacs lincoln's imperials uh ford ltd whatever may have a resonator uh, on it and a muffler but in essence you either had to have a collapsed exhaust pipe someplace you had to crush it right over it whatever dent it and close it close it crushed and then or you had to have a baffle come apart in the muffler and depending upon the intricacy of the muffler that this baffle could block the exit and cause the back pressure cause the exhaust to not exit the engine right and then the third thing which i won't even say it's a third thing it's two let's make it two a instead of uh, number three is that you know being on a farm or whatever you could have something crawl up into the exhaust and make a nest like a family of mice and what have you and uh usually they that the, the nest catches fire and burns but you know hey if the vehicle sat there for quite some time or it's a um it's a it's a seasonal use engine or piece of equipment that they could build a pretty good nest in there but um but usually that would uh kind of blow itself out or burn itself out so the thing is that either just crushed pipe or crushed muffler or the muffler coming apart inside so now what we have to what we need to do is we're going to talk about uh how this impacts the engine now once the catalytic converter came about in 1975 up until today gasoline engines the catalytic converter is not going away so the thing is that the catalytic converter changed everything and made a restricted exhaust much more common than it ever was before because we still had the elements of crushing the exhaust or the muffler coming apart but there was the, always the possibility of the catalytic converter melting inside and 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 once it melted inside that it will cause a exhaust restriction all right so let's stop right there and let me explain to you briefly without going off on a tangent hopefully you guys are patient with me you know that i'm passionate about this and sometimes i gotta reel myself in but the, a catalytic converter, for the most part, today has a monolith. And a monolith, a monolith looks like a honeycomb in a bee's nest. The, uh, and FYI, the early catalytic converters back in 1975 and uh, probably to about 1980, General Motors did not use a monolith. They used what they called a bead or pellet type of converter. And Ford, Chrysler, and AMC used a monolith type of converter, the honeycomb type of converter and what a catalytic converter does in simplistic terms 
is that it has it has precious metals, rhodium, palladium in them, and a catalyst by nature of definition means it's something that speeds up or alters a chemical reaction without itself becoming consumed so the catalytic converter is used to scrub the carbon monoxide and hydrocarbon exhaust coming out of an engine and it's used to make it into something something benign all right which will not impact the atmosphere so it makes so it, it changes it it changes it into co2 which is like in a soda bottle all right so that's in essence what it does so the exhaust the 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 chemical elements in the exhaust the the carbon monoxide which is partially burned fuel and the hydrocarbons which is unburned fuel when you open up a can or if you have a gas can like a five gallon gas can, you open up it and you smell a gas that's the vapors is the hydrocarbon vapors so it takes those from the exhaust and converts them to something benign carbon dioxide already and then it goes out into the atmosphere and it does this by these precious metals there's a lot of chemistry involved with it and the precious metals interacting with that in the exhaust now the interesting thing about a catalytic converter be it a monolith type of converter that's honeycomb or being a bead type of converter is that um that it only efficiently does this at an engine out air fuel ratio of 14.7 to 1 which is what's called stoichiometric that means is the most efficient chemical conversion chemical energy to mechanical energy conversion so it's an air fuel ratio of 14.7 to 1 and unleaded fuel that we've used for and you know, whether it's got e10 in it e20 or whatever is is designed around keeping the catalytic converter happy so it needs to see a air fuel ratio of 14.7 to 1 for the converter to be the most efficient the most efficient and we'll use the term scrubbing the exhaust for co and hc carbon monoxide and hydrocarbons now the catalytic converter when the engine is first started uh is not functional it needs to reach a certain temperature inside to be functional and that is around 900 degrees this is a gasoline catalytic converter all right a diesel oxidation catalyst needs to reach about 600 degrees but but that don't be concerned with that right now but the catalytic converter key needs to reach to about 900 degrees and like an oven like you're cooking in an oven the temperature doesn't come up instantly it ramps up and then once the converter reaches around 900 degrees it becomes its most efficient and that is what is called light off it's like shutting a light off l-i-g-h-t but it's l-i-t-e light off the con you'd say in engineering you say we got to get the converter to be lit off all right so once it's lit off it's going to scrub the exhaust prior to that when the converter is cold when you first start the engine it doesn't scrub the exhaust as it starts to build some heat from the engine running it starts to clean up a little bit a little bit a little bit and then what happens basically is that at one particular point it comes on the pipe right it gets you know like comes on a turbo here right it, it's all becomes efficient and then it starts to scrub the exhaust now there is a there is a bell curve as far as the operating temperature of the converter so it needs to build heat build heat build heat and then it becomes efficient and then what will happen is that if the mixture is is richer than 14.7 to 1 what will happen is that the converter will start to superheat 
So it'll get much hotter than 900 degrees. And if it gets much hotter than 900 degrees over time, what will happen is that it will start to melt that monolith or those pellets, all right? And then as then it'll cool back off and it'll and it'll solidify. So it'll end up over time. It doesn't happen you know in, in 10 miles. Over time, it will now block the exhaust and not allow the exhaust to exit. So the number one thing you need to take home here is that any engine that is fitted with a catalytic converter, and you know, a lot of motorcycles are even fitted with catalytic converters today. The thing is that is the engine, if it runs too rich for a long period of time, it is going to superheat that converter and then it is going to start to melt down and gives you the, and will start to cause an exhaust restriction. Alrighty? So we always said in the industry is that catalytic converters on are, are, are not don't die, they're murdered, and they're murdered by a rich air fuel ratio. And now what will happen is that once the air fuel ratio gets goes and starts to get richer, 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 it actually has too much fuel in it and not enough oxygen, and it actually extinguishes the converter. It's not lit off anymore. So we would say the converter is extinguished. And when the converter is extinguished, then it doesn't scrub the exhaust, but also it doesn't have the ability to hurt itself. So it's right at that line, like a surfer, like a surfer riding the curve of the wave, is that you have a very little window of proper air-fuel ratio to keep the converter happy and efficient. You go slightly richer than that, you start to superheat it and melt it down, and you go richer than, than the super heating temperature and then it extinguishes and shuts off the converter because what basically happens is that the additional fuel displaces all of the oxygen content in the converter and then it doesn't have the ability to make heat now if you ever been on the road you're going to uh you're going down you're going to town or something like that and this is very common years ago with carbureted cars carburetor engines that somebody would you know somebody would pass you they'd whack it to the floor right on a two-lane they're going to pass you and then when they go by you smell that rotten egg that sulfur smell well that's from an overheated catalytic converter and the logic in the calibration of the carburetor to fuel injection is that at wide open throttle they're going to flood it with a lot of fuel and then this fuel will extinguish the converter so if the person keeps their foot to the floor <clears throat> excuse me keeps your foot to the floor or you're pulling a long trail along the trailer up a long grade and you got this thing matted right that you don't hurt the converter so as the converter is being superheated and then going to extinguish you'll smell that that sulfur that rotten egg smell if you're smelling that rotten egg smell all the time that converter is in that danger zone because you have the the, the mixture is too rich Alrighty. so now we understand that and that is why the the diagnosis or the the, the 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 frequency of a restricted exhaust was not something we really had to deal with years ago and knew how an engine responded because of, like I said, other than crushing something, all right, riding over the pipe and crushing something, then uh, this is a new phenomena because of the catalytic converter. So now what happens is this, that... On an engine, we have the four strokes of an engine. So there's intake, compression, power, and exhaust. All righty? Even though that was taught to us that way, intake is when the cylinder is being filled with charge. Compress, compression is when it's being being compressed, the, compressed near the spark plug. And then we have 
power is when the spark plug ignites. It's And now in engineering, that's not the proper term. We don't call it power. That's the layperson's term that they taught you in shop class, intake compression power exhaust. What the proper term for the third stroke of a four-cycle engine is the expansion stroke because the spark plug ignites the fuel-air mixture and then the fuel-air mixture expands and that's what drives the piston down. So that's called the expansion stroke. And then the fourth stroke they gave us, they taught you to, they, I'm not going to say they taught you wrong in simplistic terms, right? They're going to call it the exhaust. It's exhausting the cylinder, right? But that's not the proper name either. The proper name is the pumping loop. So the third stroke is called the expansion stroke, and the fourth stroke is called the pumping loop. Now what happens is that is the is the expanding the expansion of the charge drives the piston down in the bore when the piston gets to bottom dead center the crankshaft is still turning but the piston dwells at bottom dead center on each stroke the piston dwells at top dead center and bottom dead center for a certain amount of crankshaft rotational degrees now when it's dwelling at bottom dead center the crankshaft is still turning but the way the angularity in the connecting rod excuse me in the journal the, the angle of the crankshaft journal has the piston stop and dwell there but since the crankshaft is still turning the camshaft is turning and when the piston is at bottom dead center the exhaust valve starts to open so the piston is dwelling at bottom dead center and the exhaust valve cracks open when the exhaust valve cracks open that is called blowdown b-l-o-w-d-o-w-n blowdown all right so now since high pressure goes to low pressure what's happening is as soon as that exhaust valve starts to crack open moves off the seat the pressure in the cylinder is higher the leftover residual pressure from that combustion event that all that all does not get used to to convert into crankshaft action is higher than in the exhaust port so now the cylinder starts to evacuate on its own once the pressure in the exhaust port of the cylinder and the cylinder bore equalize the pressure is not going anywhere and that is why it is called the pumping loop so now the piston now the exhaust valve is open further because the crankshaft is turning the piston is driving towards top dead center and it is pushing the residual the inert exhaust gas over which we get egr from exhaust gas recirculation takes that and pushes it out of the cylinder getting ready to fill it with fresh charge because if you didn't push that cylinder out i mean that 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 exhaust gas out you would have no room for fresh charge two things can't occupy the same place at the same time so now when you have a restricted exhaust on a gasoline engine it is like a person with a plug out like this all right what's happening is that the blowdown event is very inefficient and now the piston needs to try to push all of that to push all of that that uh that uh uh exhaust gas spent exhaust gas out of out of the uh out of uh, out of the cylinder bore and so it's like you know what a plug goes like i'm going is it or it's like a plug drain on a sink right or a plug of a, a plugged pipe it can't push it out so what's happening is that on a multi-cylinder engine the expansion 
cycle for the next owner the firing order let's say number so it's number number one fired now it's number eight whatever the firing order is instead of using all of that energy to to drive the crankshaft it's using it's using that energy from the expansion of the next cylinder in the firing event to go and to try to push the piston up on the cylinder that should have been that, that in a pumping loop so it's what's called a parasitic loss and that is why the first sign of a restricted exhaust system and you know this this happens you know with a catalytic converter this happens sneaks up on you like gray hair well weeds in the field it doesn't happen you wake up one day and all the weeds are there right you go there one day you see a weed over here see another weed and a week later you see more and then all of a sudden the feeds the field's covered with weeds we had that happen this year a lot of guys had it happen back east is that we had a, a fall panicum takeover when when you know late august when the the pre you gave up the ghost but anyway so now this this energy is being used so the first sign of a restricted exhaust on an engine is that it will start to have a lack of power or lack of throttle response idle fine do everything fine at light load why because there's not that much energy required and there's not that much charge in the cylinder but then as the restriction gets worse and worse and worse or 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 more intensified this engine will have a lack of power and then eventually eventually will not even start and run you know if if you get it to run it'll run like a 300 400 rpm like that all right it'll hardly run but this doesn't happen overnight so now on a on a on a one or two cylinder engine a small engine let's say in a seed tender or what have you if you get an exhaust restriction the thing is that lots of times that engine won't will start an idle may be hard starting because what's happening is that it can't get the exhaust out all right when you're pulling it with a rope or let little electric start or whatever you happen you have all right and then when it does run it could idle and it may idle fine but when you go to give it throttle it bogs because you have to keep in mind that if you are not exhausting that cylinder not only not only is the the energy being used from the next cylinder in an event but if you only have a one cylinder engine it's got to wait for that next event to come up on that cylinder it doesn't have the ability like a multi-cylinder engine to steal that power from the next cylinder in the firing event so if you have a one cylinder engine on a chainsaw weed whack or whatever or a, a one cylinder engine on a on, on a uh on a little on a pump that you transfer pump what have you it's got to wait for the next stroke to come the next stroke the next cycle to come up the next expansion event to try to evacuate the cylinder but because it's only a one cylinder engine it doesn't have the room to bring the charge in because it's still got exhaust gas there and also on any engine one cylinder multi-cylinder because the exhaust cannot get out it's going to affect the manifold vacuum which impacts the fuel delivery all right the charge whether it's a carburetor or fuel injection it charges the, it's the fuel and air mixed together and what's going to happen is that it gets into the cylinder by a pressure differential so the thing is that if you so what what is vacuum vacuum is the is is any pressure less than atmospheric 
all right? So if the atmospheric pressure is 30 inches of mercury today and you have the piston coming down and it's pulling it down to 10 inches of mercury to charge the fuel and air mixture, whether it's carbureted or fuel injected, gets into that cylinder by the pressure differential. It's pushed into the cylinder. If you have a restricted exhaust and the cylinder is filled with pressure because it did not evacuate and blow down when the exhaust valve cracked open or it can't push it all out with the piston, then what is going to happen to the charge? It can't get in the cylinder. And if it does, and first, as I said, this sneaks up on you like right here. It doesn't go from running perfectly to this. The first sign is that the carburetor, right, or fuel injection system, but specifically a carburetor, the signal, <clears throat> excuse me, the signal in the carburetor, which is the which in the booster which pulls fuel from the float ball through the metering circuits becomes skewed and the carburetor dumps fuel it doesn't atomize it and people pull the plugs out and say well it's running rich it's really not running rich it's it's that it's not atomizing the fuel because it's not taking as much fuel as it should but it's not atomizing and breaking up in in, in small particles so the person blames the carburetor it's not the carburetor it's the exhaust system the exhaust system so basically in essence to 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 sound crude all right and uh, hey whatever i'm from new jersey right so uh, whatever i don't have much of a filter the engine is constipated all right that's what it basically boils down to the engine is constipated and once it's constipated all bets are off on how the fuel system is going to work all bets are off on how the ignition curve is going to work how the engine is going to breathe and what have you all right now before I go off, I want to explain it. The good thing about it, it's very simple for you to, to check this if you're suspicious of it. But let's talk about the small engines first. You, you could say, hey, hey, hot rod, in the beginning you were talking about saying it's catalytic converter. My chainsaw don't have a catalytic converter. No, it doesn't, at least not yet, thank God, right? Or your small engine on your seat tender. But most of those engines have a, some people call it a spark arrestor or a flame arrestor in the exhaust. And, it, and if that engine was not tuned properly or had a lot of cold starts or a lot of running cycles, short duty cycles, you started up running for one or two minutes and shut it off or what have you, depending upon the use, is that you will carbon up that muffler and that flame arrest or spark arrest or whatever you want to call it. And it is very common. So you get a restricted exhaust. That's, that's It's specific like on chainsaws. All right, they'll have a spark arrested there. And then you and and it, it usually screws into the muffler and um, and if depending like I have steel products you could unthread it and you could take it out and clean it, but the thing I want you to say to you is that that even though it does not have a catalytic converter, even though you did not crush the exhaust, and even though it's a two-stroke motor, all right, the fact that the two-stroke engine, it's not a motor or electric motor, electric is motor, if it has combustion, it's an engine, but the fact of the matter is that it will respond the same way. So if you have a small engine that is starting to give you problems, starting, lacking power, bogging, what have you, all of the above, all right, seems to not have proper fuel delivery, you either take that muffler off and look inside or take that spark arrestor out and look in, and look inside there and try to start it without that, all right? And then if it runs fine, you'll probably see that that is carboned up. Now, so I wanted to cover that because that's a very common problem. Now, let's get, let's get back to, uh, to a larger engine, gasoline engine. The easiest way for you to determine 
and it's very, very, very simple. And all you need is a vacuum gauge to determine if the engine has a restricted exhaust. What you need to do is you take your vacuum gauge out of your toolbox. That's something you probably bought 40 years ago. Probably was American made, right? All the ones now are from China, they're junk. But anyway, you take that vacuum gauge and you hook it up to a manifold vacuum port. And in an engine, there's two types of vacuum. There's ported vacuum and there's manifold vacuum. Manifold vacuum means that that signal is derived below the throttle plate of the carburetor or the throttle plate of the fuel injection system. All right, it's an a a a ported vacuum signal, which is sometimes referred to as a timed vacuum because the throttle needs to be open far enough for it to actually expose vacuum to that port is above the throttle plate someplace. All right, so you're hooking it up to a manifold vacuum signal, manifold vacuum source, and you're going to start the engine. All right, and like I said, you can't do this on a one cylinder engine, two cylinders because there's no place to read vacuum. But on on a, on a on any other type of gasoline engine, what you could do is you could start the engine. Not you hook up the manifold vacuum gauge, and you start the engine. And you read your vacuum. So let's say it's fourteen inches at idle, sixteen inches. Let's say seventeen inches at idle. Right, that seems to be running fine. It's seventeen inches at idle. Now what you do is you slowly raise the throttle, raise the engine speed to 2,000, 2,100, 2,500, whatever, in that range between 2,000, 2,500, and hold it steady. And you want to look at your vacuum gauge reading. All right, so let's assign numbers to this to make it simplistic. So at idle, you have 17 inches of vacuum. Beautiful, good. Now you raise the engine speed, and you hold it there at 2,000 RPM, and you look at your vacuum gauge, all right? If if the exhaust is restricted, the vacuum will either stay the same or will diminish. What you're supposed to see, because the piston speed is faster, is higher, all right, you're supposed to see an increase in vacuum. So if you had 17 inches of mercury at idle on the vacuum gauge, now you raise the engine speed up, you should have 19, 20, 21, 22, what have you. If you see 17 or below, then that engine has a restricted exhaust. It is that simple, that simple. And if it has a catalytic converter, most likely the issue is there. But keep in mind, it could be in the muffler or it could be it, it, it could be a crushed pipe. But a two-second test takes you longer to go to the toolbox. So if you're suspicious of this engine, you say, man, this thing is becoming doggy. It doesn't seem to have the power it had. It doesn't seem to want to, you know, I, I, I put a load on it. doesn't want to seem to pull it. doesn't seem to RPM up as quick. All right, do that vacuum test. Simple, simple as could be. All right, get that vacuum port, check it at idle, check it at 2,000 RPM, and you could take this to the bank, baby. If it's not, if it doesn't, if that vacuum does not increase and it, it stays the same or decreases, most of the time you'll see a decrease, then that engine has restricted exhaust. And the easiest thing for you to do to confirm that, if it has an oxygen sensor, you could pull the oxygen sensor out, you're not going to hurt anything, and, and start it and see if it gets better, or you could drop the exhaust system, what have you. But that is the that is a 100% proof positive test for restricted exhaust, all righty? Vacuum at idle, vacuum at 2,000 RPM, vacuum at 2,000 RPM should be at least two inches of mercury stronger than vacuum at idle. If it isn't, you have a restricted exhaust. Then now all bets are off how that engine is gonna run. And if it is a catalytic, if it's a catalytic converter equipped vehicle, remember, 
that that catalyst melted down inside because that engine was running too rich or had a lot of cold starts or idled with the choke on, what have you. The catalyst, cat, cats, we call it cats for short, cats don't die, they're murdered. And when they're, when they're murdered, that what they do is they pay you back for being murdered by melting down inside and restricting the exhaust. Alrighty, so that is very, very, very simple. On a, on a smaller engine, you'll have to open up the exhaust somehow, take the flame arrestor out, take the muffler out, what have you. On a larger engine, vacuum test, all right, and then go from there, and then you will find that it has, that that is what your issue is, case closed. Now, on a modern diesel engine, prior to the tier four systems, is that it would fall prey to the same thing like a gas engine. You either crushed a pipe or had something in the muffler, a baffle came apart in the muffler or what have you. But on a tier four engine where you have a diesel oxidation catalyst, which is first, then you have the diesel particulate filter, and then you have the selective catalytic reduction system, the SCR system, which uses the diesel exhaust fluid to convert oxides of nitrogen to a benign safe gas, all right? The the diesel particulate filter has is going to store and i did a tier i did a, i did a whole show on tier four you can look it up in the uh in the archives it's going to it's going to store the particulates and then at a certain time when it goes to what's called a regen cycle it is going to burn those particulates off and convert the particulate to ash ash takes up less room than the than than a particulate does but at one particular point, that 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 diesel particulate filter is going to be filled with ash, and then needs to be removed, and it needs to be cleaned out, which is something you can't do at the farm. All right, and uh, there's certain procedure. They actually put it in an oven. They scrape, but they scrub it and clean it, and then they bake it in an oven to, at a higher temperature to bake it off. Now, most, if not all, diesel particulate filters. Uh, you have a pressure sensor in and out, and they measure the pressure coming, the exhaust pressure coming in the in the DPF and out of the DPF, and that's how they determine when they need to do a regen cycle about how much how much soot or particulates are in there. Now, keep in mind, even if you did did all the regens, did everything properly at one particular point, that's going to need to be cleaned out. So as it starts to build build ash in it it's going to become an exhaust restriction and it's going to act just like a gasoline motor with a plugged catalytic converter it's going to start to lose power start to lose fuel economy you're going to see the boost gauge coming up but it's not it's it's over boosting exhaust gas temperature is going to get higher because it's not not exhausting that heat from that cylinder but the only saving grace is in theory in theory right it should tell you set a trouble code and a service engine soon light up what we would call a telltale telling you that the diesel particulate filter is plugged and needs to be removed and cleaned but keep in mind that as that starts to come up all right and there's a threshold for that pressure as far as in in that in that calibration for it to set that code so you know just like we did in our you know uh our bushels and cents today that that you know that that combine had an over speed code for the turbo it had nothing to do with that it was a bad ground it was a, it was for, uh, tricking it so keep in mind that that's what will happen with a diesel engine is that you will be able a modern diesel you once you start to plug that 
diesel particulate filter with ash from so many regen cycles that needs to be removed and it'll respond like a gasoline engine that has a restricted exhaust because the same phenomena it can't push it out it can't the pressure is staying high in the bore instead of instead of going instead of going low in the bore all right so uh any questions on that but keep in mind that it's very simple test vacuum gauge and then you know you'll do this on all your gasoline engines. It's a two seconds. I mean, you hook up the vacuum gauge, check the vacuum and idle, check it at 2,000 RPM. If it's higher and good, then you have no exhaust restriction, move on. But it's something that you could start to actually start to sneak up and see, see that that exhaust is starting to get restricted before you even actually feel it in the way the engine responds under load, be it at a irrigation pump or be it a, um, you know, on a truck or whatever, what have you. All right, so uh, so keep that in mind. As I said, any questions or concerns, please feel free to contact me at Hot Rod Farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. All right, so now it's going to be time for our toolbox test. And as you know, the toolbox test is being brought to you by agro liquid fertilizer perfectly calibrated crop nutrition that allows you to hit your yield target by giving your crops what they need it's right in that curve like i said like that air fuel ratio stoichiometric you give you know it's environmentally sound and efficient because it's giving the crops what it needs to be productive because you know it's not drag racer syndrome you know drag racer syndrome is a little good a little bit as good a lot is better right fertility is not that way so you need to give the crop what it needs an agro liquid will allow you to hit that target with their formula of high efficiency low salt fertilizer so check them out i'm an agro liquid farm and i know if you check them out that you will be also but now as always we have to invite tex rabinowitz in from ripsaw records and he is going to sing the hot rod man as we get into our toolbox test so come on and hit it tex I'm a hot rod man. Yeah, I'm a hot rod man. Look out, little mama, gonna get you if I can. All righty, Tex. Thank you so much. Thank you for uh, coming on board over here and being the official music from Ripsaw Records, the official music of the Toolbox Test. So you know when you hear Hot Rod Man, you better put your thinking cap on because the test question is coming up next. So we are this week... We're on, still on toolbox test number two. As I said, these are all on my website. So you could go take them. I think there's 14 or 15 of them up now, and they all have five questions to them. All right, so we're on question number four of test number two. Your summer vacation is over, and you are taking the time to get your combine ready for harvest. You look everything over and fit both the corn and bean headers to make sure all is well. When you first started the engine in the shop, you noticed a good amount of blue slash white smoke from the exhaust. Thinking nothing of it, you went about your business. On the subsequent restarting of the engine, the smoke was still present and would dissipate in about 20 seconds. Then the exhaust would be clean. You would just change the engine oil and filter and nothing stood out as being wrong. Where do you think the smoke is coming from? Alrighty, so farmer A thinks that the seal in the turbocharger is going bad and is leaking. Farmer B 
gives you the news that he believes the piston rings are shot and you better hope for a good yield to pay for the repair. Boy, he's a real uh, real uh, prince. Farmer C tells you not to worry. Most likely the smoke is from, the, from worn valve stem seals. And Farmer D laughs and says that's why he always buys a different color, color combine. We always got one of those in the group, right? That he's got to, uh, he's always got to be, uh, any problem that you have, you get a flat tire, it's because he uses a different color machine. So, uh, so that's it. So as I always say to you, don't be concerned whether it's A, B, C, or D. Be concerned with what you think the issue is. So now we will go into our special delivery section. And then once we are done with that, I will give you the answer to that toolbox text test question. And that means that this week's show is over. And uh, I want to thank you in advance for listening. Okay, so special deliveries, you know, uh, letters that are sent to me uh, through my website and from people who listen to uh, the show or read or go, or go on the website or have and have a issue or concern or question about something. And special delivery is proudly brought to us by Firestone Ag, a company founded on Harvey Firestone. He's one of us. He was a fourth generation farmer from Columbia, Ohio. I'm not fourth generation. I'm second generation. But Harvey dreamed of putting rubber tires on farm tractors and that innovative mindset is the core of Firestone Ag today and lives on with their 23 degree tread bar tire design, the AD2 technology, which is the IF and VF tire, and then also the Firestone of tracks. The soil is the lifeblood of your farm trusted only to firestone and you know it's funny how even today with so much about no-till and soil compaction there's a whole bunch of people out there who still want to fight that tooth and nail and tell you that's a bunch of malarkey well it's not a bunch of malarkey and sadly they need to change their mindset so the soil is the lifeblood of your farm Alrighty, so as I said this is our letter and it's from mr shady set shady and I will read it to you I loved your podcast on radiator caps, found it very informative and backed up mistakes I've made in the past, which got me thinking about coolant and additives for diesels. There are so many generic snake oils out there for cleaners, boosters, and many other cures for common cooling system ailments. I'm overwhelmed in the classic classic tractor world. The great international harvester author Ken Updike preaches, I don't know who that is, uh, preaches that the IH engines from the 1970s need a conditioner element plumbed into the system to prevent cavitation of the cylinder sleeve. John Deere sells a coolant conditioner to eliminate cavitation by way of surface tension and a protective film. My Kubota lawnmower from the 80s manual recommends running a cleaner fluid through it every so many hours. Then I have a case diesel engine that isn't very specific, just coolant and water mixed to the safe temperature range. These are all wet sleeve motors, which I use recommended coolant in mixed to the appropriate ratio with demineralized water. Am I missing something with additives or conditioners? I really enjoy every podcast toolbox test and tweet you right. Keep up the good work. I'm far smarter now and it makes my day. Thank you very much, Seth Shady. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Shady, for not only listening, but for writing and for uh, and for learning that, you know, as an educator, nothing makes anyone feel happier than a, a student that is learning and enjoying learning. So to answer your question, sir, 
the thing basically is is that there's two components to what you're saying is that every diesel engine even today which is which is a like in a light duty diesel that's in a pickup truck or what have you which is a which is not a wet sleeve engine it's a, it's 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 a parent bore engine so the thing is that requires to have a additive package that will uh, that will allow or not allow cavit cylinder liner cavitation erosion to occur and what that basically is is that bubbles form and they implode like cavitation in a hydraulic pump or any type of system they implode against the cylinder wall the back side of the cylinder the cylinder liner from the water jacket towards the actual piston and they eat it away and they erode it and eventually the coolant gets in the cylinder and because liquid is non-compressible that piston is coming up on that 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 um is coming up on that compression stroke it gets water in the cylinder quarter meaning coolant and then it can't be compressed so the piston breaks the rod breaks and historically it kicks it through the block all right the other thing is that the the other problem with a diesel engine is you need to have a this this additive package in the coolant that this that that eliminates cavitation and also eliminates electrolysis all right which is a ground the coolant being used as a ground path now so you need to have and if you and that's why you need to use a diesel specific coolant because the diesel specific coolant has the proper additive package now since diesel engines are so large and they uh and they uh take a lot of coolant what the industry has come up with many many years ago are test strips and those test strips will determine what additive the coolant needs and you could buy something called an sca a supplemental coolant additive so you don't have to renew all of the coolant you put the you, you juice it up with the additive package that is uh in this sca and then eventually over time you will need to replenish the coolant all right but you could you could extend its life cycle greatly by adding the sca on a small engine let's say like your lawn the your lawnmower the kubota i would probably just change the coolant and not worry about an sca on a larger engine with a with, a, with 14 15 16 gallons of coolant that you could add an sca and that'll be fine and then eventually but i do promote coolant testing it's like it's it's just like it's like uh, uh, oil oil or hydraulic system testing it's going to predict it's going to be a not a predictor it's going to be a telltale of what's going on now the other part of your letter so let me answer this the first part every diesel engine needs to have a proper coolant in it that will eliminate uh, eliminate the possibility of cavitation cylinder liner cavitation erosion and electrolysis whether you choose that by using the proper coolant and adding an sca or changing the coolant that is essential on every diesel engine all right so whether it's kubota whether it's john deere whether it's classic ih and that's probably what mr updike was talking about but you need to have that in any diesel engine detroit diesel cummings cat power stroke what have you all right the other thing about saying is that that you want to use some sort of cleaner in the system if you were if you were good about keeping the coolant fresh and keeping it additized and then you will not have corrosion built up in that system and you would not need to wash it out but what i would basically do is that if the engine is running fine and it has and if it has a cylinder head surface temperature gauge 
and a liquid temperature gauge, if those are in parity or close to being what they should be, one of the telltale signs of having corrosion inside the cooling system is and scale built up in the cooling system is that you will have the cylinder head temperature will be much higher than normal than the, and the liquid temperature will be lower because that heat is not being transferred and then you should you should clean it out with one with some type of product as you were saying the negative about those products is that they're predominantly acid based so even though they do or clean the scale out, they attack a lot of gaskets and seals and have the potential to attack gaskets and seals, even though, and even if you have something like a heater core or a radiator and some of the solder joints are weak, then you would, you would basically have the potential of eating that away and causing a leak that would not be there if you did not put that acid in there. So to answer your question, if you had these tractors for years, this equipment for years, and you would, I would, to me, that would be a last ditch thing for me to try to put some sort of cleaner in there even though Kubota told you on a lawn tractor you don't have to worry about a heater core but you do have to worry about the water pump seals and the radiator and any place that that coolant goes so to recap yes I would do I would do coolant system analysis it's about $20 $25 for each test do coolant system analysis keep the coolant renewed or with a supplemental coolant additive, keep the additive package up to snuff. You will not have any scale, you will not have any electrolysis, and you will not have any cavitation liner erosion. And then when you do the coolant system test, it could actually it could actually see if there's any erosion going on because of what it's gonna do is it's gonna show an elemental metals in the coolant. And it you and, and that elemental metals are from from something deteriorating from that coolant and it's usually the cylinder liner. So hopefully, yes, don't fall prey to the snake oil. And then hopefully that answers your question. If I did not answer it in enough uh, to an, in enough clarity, please contact me. And I could either go back and forth with email with you on it, or I could uh, actually address it if you would like on another show. Alrighty, so now we're over here and uh, we've got our toolbox test question. This combine has a whitish blue smoke on startup and if we have the three different farmers who told you uh, everything from you bought the wrong color combine to you better save your money or just forget about it, all right? So now farmer C is correct. In almost every instance, with a gas or diesel engine that has blue smoke on startup, it is valve stem seals or guides. The seals are the most likely cause. When the engine is shut down, the hot oil leaks past the seal and sits on top of the piston and, and is burned off when combustion occurs. The smoke lasts a short while since there's only a small amount of oil on the piston crown. So keep that in mind. Now also on a gasoline engine specifically, and on a diesel too, that, that oil is leaking past the valve, the, the valve seal, all right, along the stem, it's going to build a lot of carbon on an intake valve, which is going to restrict the airflow. But most, but historically, 99% of the time, bluish-white smoke on startup is because of a valve stem seal issue and you're putting some oil down on the top of the piston Alrighty, when i i you know i wish him i wish him a great a great crop he doesn't have to buy a new engine as the one guy said all right put new rings in but most engines and diesels are a pain in the neck because they're much harder to work on but you could pressurize 
the cylinder and you could pop the valve the retainers and locks off and usually put seals on if you could gain access to it so listen i want to thank you so so much for listening to today's show and i wish you a blessed blessed week and know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america so you have a blessed blessed week <laughs>